It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. All right. Welcome back, everybody. It's always, always good to have you here. It's, uh, what do you call it? Uh, It's just uh, always kind of interesting how... Even though we know it's coming, daylight savings time is, seems still to be uh, more of an interruption than anything else. And uh, so let me know your thoughts. Daylight savings times. Like it? Love it? Should we kill it? Uh, more and more states are talking about getting rid of daylight savings. Currently, Hawaii and Arizona are the only two states that do not observe daylight savings time. All right, uh, real quick, today on the show, Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson is an, is an attorney who specializes in disability law for those seeking veterans' disability benefits as well as Social Security disability benefits. He's the founding partner of Jackson McNichol. He has been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox network affiliates around the country. He most recently appeared as a guest of Ben Glass on the Consumer Advocate Show discussing benefits for veterans and Social Security disability benefits and how his practice allows him to make a difference in the lives of people facing disability. He has been quoted in USA Today and is listed in Cambridge Who's Who. Mr. Jackson was honored by National Academy of Bestselling Authors with a Quilly Award for his contribution as a joint author to the Amazon bestselling book, Protect and Defend, where he wrote about protecting one's rights to veterans' disability compensation. Also, in 2017, Mr. Jackson was inducted into America's Most Trusted Lawyers for his outstanding work in disability law. For more information, please visit veteransbenefits.com, veteransbenefits.com. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thanks, Bert. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. All right, so I want to jump into this. Um, and ask you about the new VA disability claims law. Um, I, I think it's um, it's now been operational uh, since I guess uh, for a while since 2019. Talk to me about this. Sure. Um, what they did, Bert, in uh, uh, the this legislation, it's called the uh, Appeals um, Improvement and Management Act, and they they rewrote a big section of the procedures for uh, VA compensation claims for disability. And so now they've taken out a couple of steps that were in the older process, um, and that uh, shortens the the time up a little for claims that go go through the appeal process. And so now they've they've made... uh, uh, some different steps if, if you get a decision from the VA and either you were turned down or you got a low rating that you think is not uh, reflective of the severity of your condition and you appeal, there are some options. There's something called higher level review, which is basically getting uh, another more senior VA uh, rating person to look at the claim. There's a uh, process that they call a supplemental claim, which is 
a replacement for the old uh, reopening and lets you reopen a claim that was previously denied and is now outside the appeal time. Um, the uh, the big difference with the, uh, the supplemental claim as opposed to the old reopening is for reopening, you, all you had to do was request that the VA reopen your claim. For the supplemental claim, you're required to submit some kind of new and relevant evidence showing that there's a reason for them to look at your claim again. And then uh, once you are past the supplemental claim level, you go into the traditional appeal to the Board of Veterans' Appeals. And the uh, important change with regard to appeals to the board and uh, appeals from the board to the court is that now under the new statute, if you're denied at the board or, or denied at the court, you can go back and file a supplemental claim and it keeps the same effective date. And by that I mean what used to happen is if you took your claim up as an appeal, and you went as far as the Board of Veterans' Appeals and got denied, and you didn't appeal to the court, you could start your claim over with new evidence, just as you can now. But the difference was, when you started the claim over, you lost the possibility of getting benefits back to that earlier time that you had filed. So what the supplemental claim does is it lets you take an appeal, and if you lose at the board and decide not to go to the court, or you go on to the court and lose, you can then, as long as you file within one year and submit new and relevant evidence, you can keep the same filing date that you had. So if you later win on the claim, your benefits go all the way back to the date that you filed in the beginning, which is a, a very big change. It used to be that if you were denied at the board and didn't go to the court, or you went to the court and lost, you filed a new claim, it was a new claim. Your, your potential benefits started in the date of that new filing. Now, as long as you file within the year, file a supplemental claim with new relevant evidence, your filing date for benefits purposes days all the way back at when you first filed. And that, that's a huge difference in benefits for uh, potentially for many, many veterans. Sure. I mean, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You, you, I, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that, that's massive uh, because some of these claims, as you know, uh, as they wind through the system could take years and it almost, it's almost like uh, punitive or penalizing the veteran because they appealed their claim. And so, yeah, this new, this new rule or this new, uh, what do you call it? Adjustment is huge. It is. It's really a big deal. I mean, what it, what it means is that uh, a veteran can keep submitting new evidence and keep that uh, original claim date pretty much indefinitely, as long as there's new evidence to be had. So, it's it's a uh, it's a really big change, and that's that's probably the single biggest change in the entire uh, new law. The one other change that is not as good for veterans is that 
right now, in, sorry, uh, in the old system, uh, not now, but in the old system, uh, there was something called the duty to assist, which meant that the, the VA had to help you put together the information required to support your claim. And that included getting medical evaluations and, and uh, pursuing service records that were missing and that sort of thing. What has changed in the new law is that applies, that, that duty to assist applies when you file a new claim. But once there's a decision, that duty to assist stops. So any further development on the claim, whether it's new medical information or uh, new uh, records about what happened or uh, any other kind of information that might support the claim, the veteran has to provide. So that's, that's the trade-off. You know, you, you, on the one hand, get the earlier effective date and can keep that. On the other hand, uh, you lose the duty to assist as you go forward in the process. And, but all in all, I think that's probably uh, ultimately a beneficial change for veterans. And those are the, those are the, the big pieces. Um, I just went to the National Organization of Veterans Advocates meeting in, uh, in Phoenix, actually. And it was kind of a quick in and out. But um, we spent an entire day covering the, uh, how the the new act is uh, is working, and got some interesting insights from what other people have tried and how how it went for them and so on. But overall, um, one of the things that's uh, that's plaguing the VA still is they still have a lot of the claims that are within the old system, what they're now calling the legacy system. So that's um, Kind of keeping them busy, and they're they're not getting to as many of the cases under the new provisions as they had hoped to and projected to by this time. But um, they've been enough to to kind of see how it works, and I I think you know overall it's working reasonably well. The uh, the one thing that I think they didn't see coming is there's still a large number of veterans who are asking for hearings at the Board of Veterans' Appeals. And I, I think they really had anticipated that between the supplemental claim process and the new provisions at the Board for a decision on the existing evidence or uh, an opportunity to submit new evidence but without a hearing, I think they were hoping that there would be a significant reduction in the number of cases that went to hearing. But that hasn't really happened. It's uh, it's still a pretty large percentage. So those are the the, uh, the highlights, if you will, uh, regarding the new act. Where gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, you know what? And and this is just me speculating. I know, you know, a tiny amount of uh, of the stuff that goes into the veterans' uh, claims or working with the VA. But I'm thinking that that maybe the way the government is thinking is, hey, if we help these people up front, maybe we can reduce the amount of appeals uh, and and maybe this first claim uh, or the initial claim theoretically is going to be easier uh, to complete versus going through the appeals process, adding new evidence, then it becomes, you know, maybe there's different rules and, and, and regs and and 
it becomes a little bit more complicated. So therefore they don't want, not that they don't want the veteran to get their benefits so much, but they don't want, uh, you know, to, uh, I guess, train somebody to help them in this, I guess, harder process. And this is where somebody like your firm steps in, correct? That that can be the case, Bert. Um, you know, we, we do... Uh... We do help a lot of folks in the appeal process. And, and just so uh, our audience understands, this is something that's unique to to this area of law. If if a veteran comes to your office and says, "Hey, I want to file a claim. I want help with my claim," uh, you cannot help them. Technically, you cannot help them or take them on as a client until they get denied. Is that still correct? Well, what we've done, Bert, to to try to deal with that, we created a, a special process in our office. The uh, the uh, bar rules in our state allow called limited representation, and so after a lot of internal discussion and and debate, we uh, we have now set up a process where. If we think somebody has a particularly deserving claim, um, we will help them at the initial stage, help them get their uh, their forms filed and kind of track the thing along. Um, and uh, there's no charge for that. You know, we, as as you pointed out, we're not allowed to charge for any services before they have a decision. So we do that for free. Uh, it's it's limited representation, as I said. We don't we don't uh, do all the things that we would do. Uh, we take them on as a full fledged client, if you will, if you will. But um, we're we're now trying to help people along at that stage, just because this is such a uh, a lack of those services, and that's one thing that distinguishes us from some of the other law firms that do this. But um, we we only do it on a pretty limited basis. You know, we have to be convinced that somebody really has a, a meritorious claim in order to do that. But but we do do it on a limited basis. Sure, and and you know what? Again, thank you for doing that, helping those uh, helping our veterans out. Um, any other changes in the VA disability claims? Well, you know, one of the big changes is that the VA has been rewriting their. Um, a rating schedule. Um, and I've talked a little at, at times about the, the VA rating schedule, and, and what that is, um, Social Security has something similar. They call it the listings, but but VA calls it the rating schedule. But what it is, it's it's a it's a big list of medical conditions that you can have, um, and what the VA does is to take different medical conditions and try to assess okay, if you're at this level of severity with your symptoms, then that reflects a certain level of disability, and they try to tie that as best they can to the notion of how much that will impair your ability to work. And just to give you an easy example, if um, you're diabetic, but your diabetes is not severe enough that you have to be on insulin, if you get service-connected for the diabetes, they would rate it at 10% because they think that 
if you are not bad enough to be on insulin, it doesn't impact your ability to work a lot. It impacts it some. They acknowledge that, right. but not a lot. So you would get a 10% rating, whereas if somebody has to be on insulin, then it would automatically go to a 20% rating because they recognize that that's an indication of greater severity, and it can go higher depending on what your what your symptoms are. And so, um, what's uh, what's happening is is that the the VA has been reworking the the listings to try to modernize them. Most of of their scheduled ratings was actually developed back in 1945, so you know it's a little dated, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a little, little, little bit of, a uh, little bit of irony there. Anyway, um, they, uh, they have been, they have been working to, uh, to change and improve the schedule, and most recently, they have um, put out for uh, comment changes in the mental health schedule. And it's interesting. Uh, one of the comments that they made was that while most of the conditions were previously assessed on the number and the severity of the symptoms, they felt like they hadn't tied it well enough to consideration of lost productivity or lost wages. Um, and so they have revised the schedule to try to do that. And, you know, it's, it's like anything else. It's done by a committee. There are some things that we kind of raise an eyebrow at whether that makes a lot of sense. But overall, I think the updated schedule is, is pretty favorable to veterans. I think uh, people that are currently getting benefits are uh, very unlikely to see any, any reduction. And a lot of people, uh, I think, are going to see uh, that they have the potential for an increase in their, uh, in their level of uh, severity ratings. As, as you know, the, uh, the ratings uh, are tied to the amount of monthly compensation that you get or Conversely, the, the amount of compensation is tied to the ratings, whichever way you want to look at it. But right. a 10% rating, for example, gets someone about $140 a month. A 100% rating gets them over $3,000 a month. And so it's a, it's a, a very large continuum. Um, but the, uh, the new mental health ratings, I think overall, are, are favorable to, to veterans and I think more than that, they're better suited to uh, the way mental health conditions are assessed under the uh, the new uh, the newest version of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM-5. So it'll be easier, I think, for veterans to demonstrate to the VA what their level of disability is because this is a better correspondence now with the with the, uh, the rating schedule that all the psychologists and psychiatrists and insurance companies and so on use. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, let, let me ask you this. How about treatment uh, at VA facilities overall? Are, are, these, uh, are these being updated or I should say, are there any updates there? Well, there, there are a couple of things going on, Bert. Um, one of the big ones is a change in, uh, in treatment for mental health. Um, 
one of the things that the VA has done in response to the COVID-19 pandemic is to provide what they're calling telehealth um, services in the mental health arena. And what they found in doing that is that some people who were reluctant to go to mental health treatment when they had to show up um, at the VA with other people and other folks saw that they were going to mental health, have been willing to come to uh, treatment by a, the telehealth system because it's more private. The, right. the other thing that the other thing that they've uh, that they've realized is that it makes it easier for them to deliver mental health services to folks in more remote areas. I mean, I, I think that was uh, fairly obvious, but it's, it has certainly uh, shown during the pandemic that, that the services to outlying areas have been able to be maintained, even though people weren't physically traveling there for, for providing treatment. So um, that's um, a, a fairly important resource for VA, and it's, I think, uh, finally going to become uh, a permanent change in their, in their system. But the other thing that's going on in terms of treatment is the VA is proposing a, a massive, I mean, really massive overhaul of their entire system of VA facilities, physical facilities. Um, they're calling it the Asset and Infrastructure Review, AIR. But uh, apart from the catchy uh, uh, <laughs> moniker, it's, uh, it's a big deal. They're talking about um, closing 35 of the existing medical centers in 20 different, 21 different states or wow. completely restructuring them. So, um, that's that, that's very big, obviously, and they're talking about closing uh, uh, three in uh, New York and two in Pennsylvania and a couple in Virginia and a couple in South Dakota, and then uh, another one, two, three, four, five, six uh, other sites as well: Massachusetts, Georgia, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Louisiana, and Oklahoma. And they're going to open, or they're proposing to open, assuming that, that this all gets approved and passed by Congress and everything else, they're proposing to open um, eight new um, uh, state-of-the-art facilities and um, rebuilding uh, a bunch of others um, so that they would be much more up-to-date in terms of... Uh, the functionality of the of the facility, you know, as as you can appreciate, a lot of these were built in the 40s and 50s, and you know they're they're nice looking brick and mortar buildings, but they're not uh, particularly amenable to being reconfigured and uh, having all kinds of uh, modern equipment installed and so on. So they're they're talking about really doing a a major, major um, review. People are uh, are comparing this to the uh, 
military base closings in the 80s and 90s in terms of the the extent to which the VA is talking about doing this. And they're not only talking about doing um, major facility uh, openings and replacements and so on, but they're they're talking about reconfiguring where the services are located based on the shift in the population. For example, in Maine, the only uh, inpatient facility is in Augusta, which is in the more or less the center of the state. It's, it's a little south of the center, but uh, it's uh, it is not where the population has uh, shifted to over the years. The, the the population is now heavily in the couple southernmost counties um, nearest to New Hampshire and Massachusetts, and so on. So they're proposing to to largely um, move the major physical treatment facilities uh, down to the southern part of the state and open a couple of smaller centers there and to reconfigure the the, the large facility um, as primarily an inpatient mental health facility since there's a shortage of inpatient mental health beds in the state. So they're making similar recommendations um, all around the country and it would be a, uh, a kind of a big deal if uh, if this all goes through. The uh, the initial reaction from Congress, I think, has been uh, a, little, a little cool. Um, as I'm sure you can appreciate, the places where they're proposing to close centers uh, are not getting a warm political reception uh, since cutting the federal payroll and reducing the money coming into that area. Senators and representatives, of course, are very sensitive about those kinds of things. But uh, all in all, I I think it's a good plan. Um, I had a chance to sit down and and look at what they're doing, and it it does seem like if if the plan ultimately goes through and doesn't get butchered too badly uh, with with the politics, I think it'll be good for veterans. They're they're moving to bring the services closer to where the veteran population is. Um, I I don't know if you and I have talked about this, but the the veteran population uh, with aging has shifted heavily to the south and east. The the northeast uh, is is uh, much has a much smaller proportion of veterans than it did years ago. Uh, there's a big influx of, uh, of veterans in areas like Phoenix and Reno and Las Vegas uh, and a, a, a very heavy population in uh, Southern California, and Florida, uh, along the Gulf Coast generally. Uh, and so uh, it's, uh, it's an attempt by the VA to, to take the existing resources and reallocate them to where the veteran population is. For example, um, in Florida, there's there's only one big veterans facility, and that's at St. Pete. They're proposing to create another one at Miami, which makes sense. There's a very heavy population of veterans all over Florida, but particularly in southern Florida. So it's uh, 
it's a big deal. Uh, it's hard to tell, you know, what will what will ultimately come out of it in a couple of years when the, when the politicians get done with it. But it's uh, it's really sensible, you know, carefully thought out plan, and I hope that it uh, will come out in, in some form similar to what it's, what's proposed. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, man, I just cannot believe that uh, we even consider closing these things without having a backup plan. Uh, that's just, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's wild to me that uh, where you have so many veterans that are already having a very difficult time getting help. Uh, do you know, Francis, if there, are they thinking that that these veterans, instead of going to a VA facility, they're going to go to a uh, maybe a state hospital or something, and then get, and then that hospital would be reimbursed from the the VA to, uh, from the VA. Well, there's, there's some of that, Bert, but perhaps I didn't explain well enough. Um, where they're proposing to close the big facilities, what they're what they're doing is uh, replacing them with community level facilities, so that say. Oh. Just, just as a as a uh, uh, hypothetical, if you were to take one of the facilities that they're closing, say there's 500 staff there, what they're proposing to do is to take that uh, that uh, body of uh, money and equipment and shuffle it into smaller centers near or near uh, population. Mm-hmm. A lot of the facilities, unfortunately got placed based on uh, political pull at the time as opposed to where the population might be. And so what they've done is they've really made a, a, a very, I think, very well done attempt to reallocate the uh, resources in a way that matches where the veterans population is. Um, I don't know that it will all work out, and I know that there will be folks who are unhappy about closing uh, big facilities. But you know, the, if the, if the plan goes through more or less as it is now, it will really help veterans. It, it will put services much closer to where the bulk of the veteran population is in smaller facilities. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. All right. Um, let me ask you this, because we've heard a lot about homeless veterans. Um, any update there? Is there anything happening there? Yeah, Bert. Um, the, the new administration is really taking that seriously. Um, and, you know, I mean, Secretary Wilkie, who uh, was the, the secretary of the VA under the last administration, I'm not sure ever left the beltway, but... Uh, Foreign Secretary, Secretary McDonough, um, in February went out to uh, Los Angeles and they put together a, uh, a an attempt to count, if you will, uh, assess the number of uh, homeless vets living in various places in the L.A. area. Uh, L.A. has the, the biggest concentration of homeless veterans in the country. So here's McDonough and a bunch of other people out uh, 
uh, late on a winter night in February, uh, and a couple of uh, big black suburbans going around uh, trying to figure out how many homeless veterans there are in these different places. And when he got back from that fact-finding trip, he announced that his goal was to get um, at least 1,500 homeless veterans in Los Angeles into permanent housing and 38,000 veterans housed uh, by this by this year. What that would mean is um, a 10% reduction in, in this one year in veteran homelessness in the country, which is a big deal. You know, they're, they're really stretching to, to try to make that goal. They've gotten some money from Congress, and they're... Um, they're doing something that that uh, has been talked about, but not very well carried out. Um, it's called they're 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 taking the housing first approach. And the the notion, which interestingly started in Utah about 10 years ago, but hasn't has kind of died on the vine there. Uh, the notion was that if you take folks that are homeless and you start by getting them a place to live then you can get them hooked up with other services. Whereas if you try to hook them up with other services before you get them housing, it's, it's not very workable. You know, people are too hard to find. They, right. they flip from one place to another. They can't afford to have a phone that's reliable, and they just lose contact with services. So it, it becomes kind of, uh, you know, self-defeating. But uh, uh, they're, they're trying out an interesting concept called uh, mini shelters and it's essentially a a a big um, big row of uh, eight by eight uh, eight by eight by eight shelters um, you know each person has his own space um, and store stuff there uh, and uh, they uh, uh, they are trying that on a, on a pretty big scale the uh, the uh, the comment by uh, uh, Secretary McDonough was that if they could do this in L.A., given the cost of real estate in California, they can do it anywhere, and I think that probably makes sense. So he's he's asked them to ask the VA in in Los Angeles to um, try to find uh, various kinds of temporary housing. Um, and what I was telling you about, for example, with the, the 8 by 8 by 8 shelters, um, is uh, they've, they've got 110 of them uh, in, this, in this one uh, module. But um, and some people have complained that you know these are these are not really much bigger than a jail cell. But uh, they interviewed one fellow, and he said, "I've been in a jail cell. You can't open the door. Here, I can open my door." Uh, and he, <laughs> he liked that part. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's really a big push. Um, they've they've done everything. Uh, they've they've set up these temporary shelters. They've uh, set up tents. They've uh, uh, you know they've uh, they've done uh, porta porta potties and uh, and uh, showers and even a uh, a mobile shower truck that they're sending around. Um, and they're working on building a mess hall. Um, so it's a it's a real push. Um, you know, the uh, the Biden folks and Secretary McDonough really seem very committed to doing their very best to reduce homelessness among veterans. 
Um, you know, homelessness generally is a problem, but at least for for veterans, they're they're making a real push to try to improve that. And I, I think you know it's likely to to, to work. Um, what they found in Utah when they started this uh, was that it, it worked very well. Uh, the the issue became that they they weren't the folks who voted on the state budget weren't willing to ultimately continue the funding. Um, but, uh, you know, Congress has put a bunch of money in the budget for this, um, in this latest go-round, and I, I think it's going to be a big deal. But, you know, like everything else, when you when you first try it, you don't know, but it, it looks very promising so far. Sure, sure. You know what, and... and and maybe the these houses or these units aren't whatever luxurious, but they are certainly better than a jail cell. It's certainly better than living or you know being exposed to the elements uh, you know and and um, you know it's it's definitely a step up right and, and and to your point, it gives the veterans kind of a um, uh, stabilizing point, right, where they can maybe receive mail and be reached and get picked up or dropped off. To me, I see is you know not perfect, but but definitely a step up, definitely helpful, right? I sure think so. And and uh, you know a lot of folks in California have gotten behind it, including uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who has uh, made a big donation. So it's uh, it's 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 getting some traction, and uh, McDonough has has really stressed the need to uh, partner with the local governmental folks and local nonprofits to to you know get kind of everybody under the same umbrella moving these things forward, and it it really it looks very promising. That's you know you you, you never know in the end, but it, uh, in advance, but it it, it looks very promising. Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and at the same time, I do want to say this. Look, th- there's, there is some responsibility on all of us uh, to do what we can, right? I mean, the, the, it's great that, that you have organizations out there that are trying to help veterans, and, there's, uh, and, and the government's trying to do, you know, what they're trying to do, and, and – and but ultimately, our veterans uh, have to take some action themselves. They have to be willing to, you know, I guess step it up a little bit. Uh, and and um, you know, obviously there there are some veterans who are suffering uh, from mental illness, um, and and so they may have a more difficult time adjusting, and I get that. But I'm talking about those veterans that, that have the mental and physical capabilities to, to help themselves. That's what they need to do. They have to help themselves because there's only so much that, you know, your, org, you know, your, your law firm can do, right? There's only so much that the government is willing to do. There's only so much that... Uh, organizations can do there there's just it's all limited so uh, those who can have to step up 
That's absolutely true, Bert. But the the object here is to give them a helping hand that lets them have a have a place to stand while they're stepping up. And I I think it's it's uh, it looks very it's looking very promising. Yes, sir, and I agree with that. I totally agree with that. Nothing wrong with giving out a helping hand. Uh, let get people stable and and absolutely I think I think that's vitally important so I applaud the effort and I hope that the program works out really well uh, Francis we're out of time but I want to thank you so much for taking care of our veterans and stopping by today Bert my pleasure it's always a pleasure to chat with you thank you sir good stuff there for um, Francis uh, lawyer Francis Jackson and let's help as many people as we can. Let's let people know about veteransbenefits.com. I am passionate about promoting veteransbenefits.com because the work that Francis and his team does is outrageous. And some of these claims have literally taken, taken over a decade. And that's not right. Our veterans should not have to fight so hard uh, to get their uh, their VA claims, their, their, their disability claims. Uh, and, and so I'm grateful for veteransbenefits.com for helping out. And, and so let's please, let's share this episode with as many people as possible. Um, remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.